You're listening to the RUF at Western Carolina University podcast. RUF is a campus ministry that exists to reach students for Christ and to equip them to serve Christ, His church, and His world. For more information, follow us on Instagram. We're at RUFATWCU or look us up online at www.ruf.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, We're continuing in our series on relationships, uh, talking about tonight our relationship with the church, what it looks like to relate to the church, what is the church, what does the church do, uh, what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with the church. Um, So uh, I know that there in a room this size are a lot of different kind of thoughts about the church. Uh, Some of you come from really great churches uh, in your past which is awesome. You were loved well, um, you were taught well, you got to learn about Christ and uh, what he's done for us and you were taught the Bible and um, you can come from a great church and that's awesome. Uh, some of you probably don't come from any church, right? RUF might be kind of your first experience with Christianity, kind of tipping your toe into these waters. Uh, and so you're, uh, when you hear church, you think it's like, people still go to that thing? Um, people my age go to that thing? Uh, some of you just have mixed feelings about your church from back home. You're not sure if uh, the Christianity thing is something you're going to continue with or uh, if your uh, kind of approach to Christianity will include the church. Uh, some of this is because uh, oftentimes we have difficulty with the church. right? Maybe you just have never found one that you connected to. Uh, maybe you went to church with your parents all through high school because... That was what you did, right? And so you just kind of went along. Um, But the whole time your mind wandered, right? The music was weird and the whole thing's just really not your deal. Or maybe right now you go, like, because all of your friends do. And they're going to go out to lunch afterward and you don't want to miss that. So what else am I going to do? I might as well go to church. Um, So because of that, I I thought about calling the sermon. We've been naming all the sermons after Taylor Swift songs. uh, I thought about naming this one Tolerate It. Right. Because that's that's the approach that many of us have to church. Right. Like this isn't perfect, but it's not bad enough to leave. So I'll just put up with it. I'll tolerate it. Uh, Others of you have been hurt by the church or have you seen other people hurt by the church? Uh, You've seen a pastor have a moral failing and it sent your faith spiraling. Uh, Trish, my wife, taught at a Christian school for 10 years before we moved away from Charlotte and The year after we moved, we found out that the senior pastor and headmaster of the school were both under investigation from the FBI for embezzling over a million and a half dollars from the church and the school. Like that messes with a person's faith. So maybe something like that has happened to you or you've seen it happen to someone you love, someone you care about. Right. And and that's really hard because we're deeply wounded by the church at times, but it's also within the church that some of our best relationships come from. Right? We hear pastors teach us about Jesus and about the Bible, and, and we grow in these amazing ways, and then they go and do something like that. And so I thought about calling the sermon Sad, Beautiful, Tragic, right? Because the church is beautiful, but also like we can experience deep hurt and frustration in the church. And because of that, some of you have just given up on it altogether, right? There's too much hurt, too much heartache. Maybe it's just like you've been going for years, and you're like, this is a waste of time. It's just not relevant to me. You've tried the church thing and decided it's not for you. So I thought about calling this sermon, we are never ever getting back together, right? Because some of you have broken up with the church and that's really, really sad. Wherever you are tonight, 
whatever your like spectrum of Taylor Swiftness is, um, I want to talk about relating to the church. I want to talk about what the church is, what it's for, and what it does or what it's supposed to do. And, and my hope is that you'll come away with a renewed sense of hope for the church, right? A more realistic view of what the church is, uh, but also how to relate to it well. Uh, so I'm going to read this passage from First Peter for us, and then we'll dive in. First Peter chapter 2, uh, down in verse 9, Peter says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that it reveals to us about who you are, who we are, and what you've done to bring us back to yourself. Fathers, we talk about your church tonight. Uh, we recognize that this is a difficult topic for many, um, either because of frustration or disappointment or hurt or confusion. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would help us to love the church because you love the church, and we want to love what you love. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, before we start out, um, I want to tell you guys about a version of the Bible that I hope you've heard of, but maybe not. You're familiar with all the different like acronyms. There's ESV and NIV and KJV and NKJV and NRSV and all these different versions. Uh, every once in a while, I like to do a reading from the YALL version of Scripture, uh, also known as the YALL version of the Bible. Uh, if you've ever taken a foreign language, you know that in most languages, there's a distinction made between what's called the second person singular and the second person plural. Right? Second person singular is, Alexa, you are my friend. Second person plural is, RUF, y'all are my friends. Right? English, both of those words are you, but most other languages dis distinguish. I didn't take Spanish. Does somebody know what they are in Spanish? What is it? And what's the other one? Okay, what's first person? Wait. This is too confusing, right? Anyhow, in English, we don't have a way to distinguish, at least when we're reading, between singular and plural. And so every once in a while, it's helpful, I think, to just to, to show what's behind the text. Because in Greek, they do distinguish between first person, and, or plural and singular. And so 1 Peter chapter 2 actually reads like this. But y'all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A, a holy nation, a people for his own possess, possession, that y'all may proclaim the excellencies of him who called y'all out of darkness into his marvelous light. Most of the New Testament is like that, right? When we, as, as people in an individualistic, kind of self-deterministic culture, when we read the word you, we immediately think it applies to us. Generally, when you're reading the New Testament, it applies to a community. It actually generally applies to the church. And that's what Peter is talking about here in, in chapter 2. He's speaking not to just an individual, but to a, a collection of people, to a group of people. And he's telling them who they are. He says, you are a community that belongs to God. And the defining characteristic of this community is at the very end of that passage. right? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The church is a community, is a collection of people who have experienced the love and goodness and grace of God, who have tasted of his mercy, right? They were not a people, and now they are a people, united in the fact that they've been rescued by God. And Peter says there's a purpose to this community. They have a mission. 
that they might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Right, so the church is this, this people that's pulled out from the world and given this new identity as God's people who are then to turn back to the world and proclaim the goodness of this God who has made them a people, who has given them, Taylor Swift, a place in this world. That's what the church is, right? It's a community of redeemed sinners. It's a community of people who have all experienced the love and grace of God. And Peter says their mission is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. I think the next passage on your sheet, Matthew 28, uh, is helpful to kind of tease out that mission a little bit. This is the, the closing passage of the book of Matthew. Jesus has uh, taught and done miracles and told stories and parables. Uh, he, he's died. He's been raised from the dead. And now he's about to ascend back into heaven and he gives his disciples their job description. He says, I'm leaving. I'm going back to heaven. You're staying here for a minute. Here's what I want you to be about. He says to the 11 disciples uh, in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is what Jesus says the disciples are to be about during their time on earth. He gives them this mission. He says, go and make disciples, right? Tell more people about me. Make more believers, right? And baptize them. Baptism is that kind of initiation into the Christian life. It symbolizes our cleansing from sin. So, so Christ tells the disciples, go make more Christians and go make those who are already Christians more mature, right? Discipling them, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. The work of the church, what the church is for, it is for making more Christians and for making Christians holier, right? For helping Christians to grow up in the faith. Uh, we actually have a way that we say this in RUF. RUF has a mission statement, right? A purpose. Uh, it's to reach students for Christ, right? To tell students about Jesus uh, and to equip students to serve, to help them to grow up in Christ. Evangelism and discipleship, right? The church isn't supposed to pick between the two of them. We're supposed to be doing both. And I know we're moving quick, but that's because I want to get to some like practical, what does it look like for you to relate to the church? So now we're going to Acts chapter 2. Right? What does the church do in fulfillment of this mission of reaching people and equipping them, of gathering the saints, of gathering Christians, and making them more holy? This is Acts chapter 2. Jesus has ascended back into heaven, uh, and the Holy Spirit has come and settled on the disciples. Uh, and Peter, in particular, preaches this sermon in Jerusalem uh, at Pentecost. And once he's done, uh, we read in verse 41... Uh, do you guys have 41 on your sheet? I don't have it in front of me. You do? Yeah. We read in verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Right. So the church starts as the 11 disciples. Peter preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people are converted. So now the church is 3,011 people. What did that early church do? Well, this is the summary that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, gives us at the end of chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love this passage. I love this description of what the early church does because it's so boring, right? Like it's so ordinary, right? What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the word, right? What did they do? They worshiped together, right? They praised God. They, they devoted themselves to the prayers, right? They gathered together and worshiped. What did they do? They spent time together, right? They fellowshiped. They broke bread in their homes, right? So they didn't just see each other when they went to the temple, but in their homes, they shared life together. They served together, right? They were generous with their things, even willing to sell their own possessions to help someone else in need. Like, yes, there are signs and wonders that are mentioned in there, but, but Luke almost goes out of his way to say, he's like, that's what the apostles were doing. Here's what everybody else was doing. Here's what you and I were doing, right? Devoting ourselves to the word, worshiping together, living life together in fellowship and serving one another and serving the world outside. It's so normal, right? It's so achievable by people like us, right? Who aren't going to be doing miracles and who, who don't have the boldness to like stand out in the brickyard and preach the gospel just to random strangers walking by on their way to class. That's not what we're called to do. In Acts chapter 2, the, the description we're given of the church is kind of just an ordinary way of life that's marked by these four things, right? Devoted to the apostles' teaching. The early church and the church today is to be marked by devotion to the word, right? That means what the apostles taught about who Jesus is and what he said, the miracles that he did, his death and resurrection, to what the apostles said about what that means for us and as far as our standing with God, right? That through what Christ has done, we are made right with God. The apostles' teaching about what it looks like to obey and to follow Christ, not out of duty or servitude, but out of love. The church is devoted to the word. The church worships together, right? It's all over this passage, praising God, devoting themselves to the prayers, attending temple together. The church gathers in response to the saving work of Christ to worship God together. The church fellowships, number three, right? So devotion to the word, worship, fellowship, and community. Right? Attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes together. Right? This is life shared together. This is not just like a, hey, how you doing on the way to work. This is, uh, this is sitting down for a meal together without homework or your cell phone. Right? When was the last time you had a meal like that and sat down and you were just present with people? That's the kind of fellowship that the church enjoyed and that we're invited to enjoy as well. And then finally, service. Right? They, they were generous with what they had, not just with one another, but with the world outside. One of the things that characterized the early church historically, and, and often one of the things that the church was ridiculed for, was how generous they were. Right? They'll give food to anybody that asks. Right? They'll come and help anybody. Even people society says are, 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 are worthless and not worth giving up your possessions for. The church takes in like these orphans and loves them and cares for them. So this is what marked the early church. The word, worship, fellowship, and service. And these are the things that mark the church today. This is what the church does. 
I know that's a really quick overview of those three passages, but that's what the church is, right? A community of people who have experienced the grace of God. What the church is for, right? Gathering more believers and maturing believers. And this is what the church does, right? Sits under the teaching of the word, responds to God in worship, loves one another, and meets one another's needs. Now, at this point, uh, some of you might be thinking, um, yeah, that's great. Like, I love that, that I have RUF and that we do all those things here. Right? I love that when I come to RUF, I get to sit and, and listen to a sermon where Andrew, sometimes confusingly and sometimes disorganizedly, but at least tries to explain the Bible to us. Right? And I love that we have Bible studies that we can go to and that, that in RUF, I, I get to sit under the word. And, and we come and we sing songs together and we worship. And, and we have community groups and, and Bible studies outside of that. And, um, you know, we're, we're working on the service part of it, right? But, like, I've seen you guys serving one another. Some of you might hear that list and say, I get all of that at RUF. I'm so glad, like, that my campus ministry kind of functions as my church. Uh, I want to push back on that for a little bit. Uh, I'm glad, if you're thinking that, that RUF is meaningful to you. Uh, But I want to push back against that notion that, like, your campus ministry can function as your church. Uh, And I want to do that by drawing an analogy um, between uh, RUF and the church. And I want you to think of RUF as the food truck of the church. And let me explain what I mean. You guys all know what a food truck is, right? They used to come here, and it was amazing. Um, I don't know where the chili chomper is now, but I wish it was right there uh, because food trucks are great, right? If you have a food truck that comes to you, you know you're going to eat something good, probably, most likely, right? Uh, Because if the food out of food truck isn't good, it's not going to survive, right? They're convenient. They come to you. Right? They come where you are so that you don't have to go and figure out parking and like all that stuff. You can just walk up to the window, order something, and then they'll give it to you out of another window. Right? And they're clever. Right? They're really punny. Like maybe the whole menu is made up of food named after like Taylor Swift songs or something like that. Um, but if you want a dining experience, gentlemen, if you want to take a woman out on a date, you're probably not going to go to a food truck. Right? Because a food truck doesn't have things like tables or bathrooms or servers. Right? Like you have to either find or be those things when you go to a food truck. Right? Food trucks have a limited menu. You can't order anything you want because there's only so much they can make out of the back of a truck. Food trucks are great. But if you want to experience a meal, you need to go to a restaurant. And again, RUF is the food truck of the church. Right? We come to you. Right? RUF is the ministry of the church to the campus. Right? Like, we don't do this at a local church. We do it, I mean, Hillside's not on campus, but Blue Ridge is right there. Right? Like, we come to you. And hopefully it's great, but we have a limited menu. Right? A limited ministry. For one thing, there are things that we don't do in RUF because we're not the church. Right? We don't baptize people in RUF. We don't serve communion in RUF. Because we believe that those two things, those sacraments, are the territory of the local church, that they're overseen by them. And so we want you to be plugged into a local church so that if you haven't been baptized, you can be. And you can experience and taste communion with a local body of believers. Uh, For another thing, uh, if you look around this room, like this is a pretty narrow representation 
of the people of God. Right? If you look around this room, you're not going to see any babies. You're not going to see any adolescents. Right? You're, you're going to see one tired parent. Um, you're not going to see any aging grandparents here. Right? They're not here. But to get a full experience, to experience the fullness of the community of God's people, you need to be plugged into a church where, where you can help disciple uh, younger children in the church, where you can like encourage a parent uh, and maybe like for five minutes after the service, hold their kid so that they can like not worry about where it is for a minute, right? To get the wisdom of a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old or a couple who's been married for 40 years, you've got to be plugged into a church, right? If you don't have a picture of healthy marriages or, or healthy families and, and parent-child boundaries from the home you grew up in, you can get that in the local church, but you're not going to get that here, right? To get a full meal, to experience the fullness of the community of God's people, you need to be plugged into a church. So how do you find a church like that? How do you go about finding a church? Well, here's what I recommend. Um, seniors, as you graduate, you think about moving, keep this in your back pocket. Um, people who are going to be here for a few more years, if you're looking for a church to settle in, um, this is something to start this week. Uh, what I recommend is that you go and you show up for at least three weeks, three, four weeks to the same place. Right? When you're investigating churches, when you're trying to find a church to connect to, go more than one week in a row. Right? Because in three weeks, you're going to meet some people. You're kind of going to see the, a, a, a broader picture of what the church does. Right? You're going to see the, the senior pastor on an off day. Um, you're probably going to take communion. You're going to get a better idea for what goes on in the life of the church outside of Sunday mornings. And then I want you to do uh, and look for those things that we see in Acts chapter 2, right? Does this church hold the word as central, right? Does this church, is it devoted to the apostles' teaching? Is the Bible central to their worship? Is it read and explained, right? Is the sermon about the Bible, or does the pastor read a passage and then use it as a springboard to talk about whatever? When you go to the church, is it worshipful? And what is being worshipped? And I'm not talking about style here, right? I'm not saying, like, you should look for a church where the worship is just like it is at RUF, right? Um, it's possible for a church with an organ to be just as worshipful as a church with lights and electric guitars and smoke machines and earplugs at the door. But it's also possible for both of those things to be merely performative or emotionally manipulative, Right, so what is your attention drawn to in the music and worship of the church? The musicians on the stage or to Christ? What's the content of the music? Is there any depth to it? Is it true? Does it reflect the truth of Scripture? Ask questions about the community and the fellowship of that church, right? That's the third mark of the church in Acts chapter 2. Do the people who have been there a while seem to actually know and kind of like each other? Do people stick around after worship, or is everybody just rushing to get to the next thing? Is there any fellowship outside of Sunday mornings? And finally, is there generosity and service? Right? Are the needs of people in the church known and prayed for and met? Right? Like, did they pray for the family that just had a baby? And is there a meal train for them so that they don't have to cook for a couple weeks? Right? Did, did they pray for the family that just had surgery and 
are people offering to give their kids a ride to school and, and help them out? Right? Is there an impulse to serve outside of the church and to impact the local community? Right? Those four things, devotion to the word, worship, fellowship, and service. Look for those things and ask, are they present? Because you don't want to be part of a church that's not doing what the church does, that has kind of given up its identity of and as the church. Um, also, I was talking to our leadership team about this last night and um, asked like what they thought would be important to talk about. Uh, and they asked for me to talk about some red flags to look for when you're checking out a church. Uh, so a couple of those that came to mind. Uh, first and foremost, does the church preach the gospel? Right? And by that, I mean, are people called to repent of sin and called to rest in Christ? Right? Because that's the gospel, that in spite of our sin and in spite of our failure, that Christ has rescued us, made us his own, and we're invited to rest in him. So are people called to repent of their sin? Is there ever conviction of sin or confession of sin? Or are all the messages just feel-good pep talks? And on the other end, are people pointed to Christ and invited to rest in him? Are they called to and shown Jesus in the Bible? Or... Are you left with the sense that I need to work a lot harder? Right? I need to get my act together. Don't commit to a church. Don't stay in a church that has abandoned the gospel of grace. So that's the first one, right? The first red flag would be a church that doesn't preach the gospel because that's not a church, right? Uh, second, uh, the second kind of category that came to mind for me of red flags um, is, is how is the pastor perceived in the church? What's his, what's his demeanor? Right? Is he known as someone who is angry and short-tempered? Is he known as somebody who's manipulative? Right? Those are really big red flags. But also, like, is the pastor accessible to the church? Or does the pastor give off this air of being so busy and so important that like, he can't be bothered with the normal kind of day-to-day -day life of people in his congregation? Uh, one way to ask that question or to answer that question, like, am I able to find this guy's email or phone number? Right? Like, if I have an emergency, can I get in touch with my pastor? Um, is the pastor viewed as indispensable to the work of the church? Right? Like, if the, if the pastor were to, like, die in a car crash or, like, have some moral failing or just go somewhere else, would the church continue? If the answer to that is no, that's a big red flag. Right? Because it's not the pastor's church. It's Christ's church. And if the pastor has, has interwoven himself so much into the ministry and vibrancy of the church that without him there is no church, that's not a good place to be. How does he talk about himself? Is he the winner all the time in his illustrations? Is he always the moral exemplar? Or does he ever admit to failing and to struggling and temptation? Right? Because you want a pastor who you can go to in times of struggle and crisis. You want a pastor who's not so busy that he doesn't have time to shepherd the flock that God has entrusted to him. So those are just a few red flags. There are more. Um, I, I think it'd be a good idea, uh, if you haven't already, listen to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, it's about Mars Hill Church out in Seattle. It was pastored by Mark Driscoll. Uh, and once uh, his anger issues and manipulations came to the forefront and were exposed and he left a month later this church of like 15,000 people was done uh, it's really this a good cautionary tale about like 
anger and manipulation and um, like ignoring red flags and would be a great help uh, in looking and seeing what an unhealthy model of the church is to know what a healthy model of the church is by contrast. All right, so enough red flags. Um, you found a church, right? You've gone three or four weeks and they're devoted to the word, right? There's worship, there's fellowship, there's service. You kind of like the people, you, you understand the sermons, you feel like this is, this is a community that I could get connected to. What does it look like to relate well to that church? What does it look like to love that church? Um, the first thing I want to say, might be counterintuitive, but it'll go a lot, it'll go a long way to helping us actually love the church. And that's be realistic about what the church is, right? Be realistic. Uh, in the New Testament, in the uh, book of First Corinthians, Paul is writing and he introduces the book the way he always does. He says, hi, I'm Paul. I'm writing to you, the, the saints in Corinth, right? He always calls the people that he's writing to saints, these believers. That's the New Testament word for Christians is saints, right? So if I were writing a book of the New Testament to you, I would write Andrew, called by God to be a pastor, um, to the saints in RUF at Western Carolina, right? That's just how they talk about normal Christians. So Paul calls them saints. And then for the rest of the letter, Paul talks about the problems in that church, right? There's division. There's factions within the church. And, and this group is allied with this person. And this group follows this other person. When they come together for communion, the wealthy people in church are eating and drinking different food and wine and communion than the poor people in the church, right? There's, there's like socioeconomic stratification in the church. Uh, people in the church are taking one another to court and suing one another rather than settling their disputes and reconciling. There's a guy in the church in Corinth who is sleeping with his stepmother and nobody in the church is saying, dude, that's messed up. And yet, Paul still starts that letter by calling them saints. That's what the church is, right? Sinners who have been redeemed by God, right? That's what every community of people is, and it's no less true of the church. You are not going to find a perfect church. Any church that you go to is going to be marked in some way by sin and pride and conflict. And you might even contribute to it at some point in your life. It's better to ask if a church is honest with its flaws rather than pretending that it doesn't have any. It's better to see a church that handles conflict well rather than looking for one that just ignores it or hides it or covers it up or like splits every time there's a little disagreement. So be realistic about what the church is. You're not going to find a perfect one. Love this bride of Christ, warts and all. So first, be realistic. Second, be there. Right? It's really hard to love a community that you're not present in. Right? It's really hard to love someone you don't see all that often. And, and so like, part of loving and relating to a church well is by showing up, right? by, by participating in the worship of the church. Right? And I don't just mean physically. Show up mentally. Right? Like, go to sleep at a decent time on Saturday so that you're not falling asleep during the sermon on Sunday. Show up relationally. Uh, as I was writing this um, yesterday and today, um, I, I thought it'd be good to challenge you guys to something this Sunday. Um, this Sunday, whatever church you go to, um, I want you, after the service is done, for the first three minutes, not to talk to the people you came with and sat with, right? Because you already know them, and you're probably going to go to lunch with them and hang out with them all afternoon, right? 
So for the first three minutes after the service, like don't huddle up like scared little gazelles on the Serengeti, but instead like turn around and look for somebody who has kids. Look for somebody who has gray hair, right? Look for, for somebody who's not in this room and go meet them, right? If you go to Redeemer, find me, find Kate, we will introduce you to somebody this Sunday morning. But meet somebody in the church. Get to know them. Be there. Be present. Right? Emotionally, relationally, physically, mentally. Be helpful. Serve the church. It's a great way to get to know people in the church. Right? There's all kinds of different ways that you guys can serve the church. I don't know if you realize you have a lot to offer the church. You guys have gifts and you have energy. Right? And you have optimism and hope. And those things are a great blessing to a church, right? So, so ask yourself, what are the gifts God has given me and what are ways that I might use them to bless this church? Uh, one of the areas that, that churches always need help is the nursery, right? Because generally the pool of nursery workers, of people who are going to watch kids during the service, are the people who already do that throughout the week and they're tired of doing it. Right? But if you go and you get to hang out with like three to five-year-old kids for an hour and a half, that's a fun morning, right? And the parents are going to love you. And you're going to meet their parents when they come to pick them up from nursery. And maybe you'll get a babysitting gig out of it, right? Like there's all kinds of side benefits to serving in the local church. So be realistic, be there, be helpful, be committed. Uh, if your church has membership uh, and it's a healthy church, I would encourage you guys to join. Uh, membership in a church is an expression of commitment from you and from the church, right? It goes both ways. It's an expression from you of saying, I'm going to be here. I'm going to help. I'm going to support the work and worship of this church. And it's an expression of commitment from the church that they will care for you and pray for you and counsel you and love you, right? That if you disappear, they'll come after you, right? That they'll bring you back. They won't let a wandering sheep stray off. All right. I know that's a lot. I know I went really fast. Uh, I've thought in the past about doing like a four-week series on the church. And so that was me trying to cram all that into four weeks. So let me again encourage you to join a community group. Uh, because in community groups, you can kind of tease out some of this stuff, flesh it out a little bit, talk about what that would look like in your life. Um, but I, I want to close uh, by talking about um, an experience or an encounter conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. Um, a couple years into his ministry, Jesus was sitting with his disciples. Um, I don't know if they were around a fire or just on their way from one town to another, uh, but they were having a conversation. And Jesus looked at the disciples and asked this question, who do people say that I am? Right? What are people in the towns? What are people in Galilee and, and, and Israel saying about me? Who do they think that I am? Uh, they respond, some people think you're a great teacher. Right? Some people think you're a prophet. Some people think you're Elijah, come back from the dead. Uh, there's all these answers about who people think Jesus is. And then Jesus looks at them and says, okay, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter has this response, right? He speaks first, like he always does. Um, for Peter, the light bulb goes on, and he says, you are the Christ. It's the first time in the Gospels uh, that anybody has recognized who Jesus is, that he's not just this miracle worker, that he's not just this prophet, but he is the promised one, right? He is the anointed one. He's the Messiah. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, you're absolutely right. 
right? And on this confession that I, Jesus, am the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's the only time where Jesus promises that I will be at work in this particular place. He says, I will be at work in my church. This is what I'm going to build. This is what I'm going to protect. This is what I'm going to love and give myself for. And if Jesus feels like that about the church, and if Jesus, is, Jesus promises to be at work in the church, why wouldn't we want to be there? Why wouldn't we want to be a part of that community that Jesus loves and calls his bride? And says, even, even though you are ugly as sin sometimes, I love you and I'm making you beautiful. Right? Even though you want to run away from me, I love you and I've died to make you my own. Even though you are not a people, now you are my people. That's what Jesus says about his church. I think it would be good for us to seek to love it like he loves it. I know it's not easy. I know the church isn't perfect. I know it can be difficult. But this is what Christ loves. And this is what he says we are. So it would be good for us, it would be healthy for us, to be connected to a church. If you want to know how to do that, uh, if you want to know some good local churches in the area, come talk to me, come talk to Kate, talk to your community group leader. Um, there's lots of good churches in the area. Uh, I have a special relationship with Redeemer Presbyterian Church in town, but there are lots of other churches represented in this room as well. Uh, but for now, again, Jesus has promised to be at work in and through his church. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your church, um, the, the impact that it's made on our lives. Um, Father, we thank you uh, that even though the church is sinful, you have not given up on her. Uh, we thank you that even though we are sinful, you have not given up on us. And pray, Father, you would give us patience towards your church. Help us to love your church as you do. Uh, help us to love your church as Christ does, who loved the church and gave himself up for her. Father, I pray that you would teach us what it means to uh, connect well and to relate well to a local church. Uh, Father, we confess that uh, it's often difficult. We often don't know what to do. It's often uncomfortable and awkward. Uh, pray, Father, that you would help us, again, to love your church and to relate well to her. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.